Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real scientists answer your beauty questions and give you an insider's look at the beauty product industry. This is episode 196. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, Perry. Hi, Brains fans. On today's episode, we're going to be answering your questions about whether there are any benefits to having vitamins in your hair products. We're going to talk about whether anything works better than hydroquinone for age spots, whether shave-minimizing products work, and whether film-forming ingredients are easy to wash off. Plus, we've got a couple of cosmetic industry news stories to talk about. But before we do that, let's say hello to Valerie. How is it going, Valerie? Things are okay, in case anyone was wondering. I am safe from the fires that are ravishing Los Angeles. There's fires out there in California? Yeah, it started Thursday night, and it closed several major highways. It was right at this point where you pass from one valley to another. So my roadway to work was blocked. So Friday was a work-from-home day, and for much of the lab, I just went ahead and gave them the day off since nobody could drive through. I did what have one employee that had to evacuate from her home, but she is fine. And hopefully this weekend she got to go back. So that kind of thing makes you want to come back to the Midwest, right? <laughs> a little bit. We do have great weather every day, but sometimes when these fires happen, the air basically smells like campfire and it starts to dust everything with ash particles. So, oh my. Um, But you don't have to put up with it too often. But the air quality definitely was not good, so I stayed inside this weekend and worked on some big projects I had going on. Oh, sounds like fun. Well, I hope you stay safe out there. You know what I did today? I heard you you did a lot of running. I did. I participated in the uh, Chicago Marathon for my 20th time in this race. Do you mind disclosing your time to our fans? I finished the marathon a minute faster than last year, three hours and 43 minutes. Now, I want to remind everyone, Perry just doesn't run marathons. He juggles during them, so he joggled 26.2 miles. Yeah, joggling, sport of the future. <laughs> I couldn't even juggle for 0.2 miles, so that, I think that's really cool. Well, thank you. I practice a lot, though. But it did give me time to uh, listen, catch up on some podcasts, so we'll get into that in a little bit. Well, first, let's do some beauty news. I read an article in the Wall Street Journal called The Rise of Fancy Face Cream for the Rest of Your Body. And it, w- it was a short article. They didn't reveal anything to mind-blowing, but they did say that there has been a surge of high-end skincare companies making powerful skincare creams for the body, not the face. And they went on to discuss three brands that had recently launched this year, and the author thinks that it's going to be quite a bit of a trend. And I was looking at some of the creams because I'm vain. I'll I'll just say it. Uh, I think like most of our listeners, we want to look our best and feel our best. And I thought, well, I take care of my face and my decolletage, which is my neck and my chest. Why not take care of the rest of my body? I learned a new word there. (laughs) Yeah. So I was looking and the creams are like 
One of them is $165 <laughs> and it's only four ounces. And oh, I'm sorry, God. I don't know how far that goes on your body, but I did notice one thing that the author did say. It's high-end skincare companies doing this. And I think it's a great idea. I just don't know the viability of it. So That's when you... Four ounces for your whole body? Like, what is it, like hand cream or... It's it's forty dollars an ounce for for your body. Um, oh I mean, my. from from head to toe, and I get it. Skin is your largest organ. It is the protective barrier on your body. It takes a lot of insults. You want to treat it well, but I want to speak from a formulator's perspective. Why, outside of high end skincare, I don't think this trend will really be super impactful. For, first of all, when you have products for body and hair, you typically, because of the amount of product that needs to be applied, you have really large bottles, like a minimum of eight ounces, even a shampoo for eight ounces or a lotion for eight ounces. That's if you're using it every day, it's not going to last you a really long time, maybe one month. And in that eight ounces, you don't have a lot of money to work with in high end skincare or even middle of the road skincare. When a product is one ounce, you can justify putting tons of expensive actives in it because you can buffer the cost per pound over 16 ounces in your pound. But when you are putting these expensive actives in and you pretty much are selling a pound of shampoo or half a pound of lotion, you can't buffer that cost as much and consumers just aren't going to pay for that. Uh, Yeah, I I can't see this taken off as a big trend i mean just that those prices are just crazy and the benefit that people are going to actually notice i doubt will be there yeah i I mean that's assuming that use of the actives pays off right but i do think there is something in at least taking care of the skin all over the rest of your body when i tell people the secret to skin care it's really just having a routine you can use pretty much almost any product and see an efficacious result because you're using the products in a routine. You know, if you're exfoliating regularly, moisturizing regularly, you're just going to see a huge benefit from that over doing nothing at all. So I think having a routine is just the battle. So my, my vote is to skip the expensive products from these high-end skincare companies, buy something more economical, and just develop a routine for the rest of your body. Yeah, my routine is I just wash myself with uh, shampoo. <laughs> <laughs> Have I ever told you the story about my brother? I gave him some shampoo that's supposed to tingle. Did uh, I ever yeah. tell you this story? I think you, what, you had methyl salicylate in it or something. Something, and he used it on yeah. the rest of his body. And uh, he got really upset with me because he said, you said shampoo can be used as body wash. And I meant, yeah, like non-tingly shampoo. He He was really <laughs> mad because he wash the rest of his parts with it and uh, didn't feel good yeah the, the the joys of being related to a chemist <laughs> oops all right valerie why don't we talk about this uh one story actually this isn't a story uh, as i said while i was uh running i i got to uh listen to catch up on some of the podcasts out there and i do i do listen to the fat mascara podcast every so often um if they have a if they have a guess, it's interesting or something. But anyway, um, I was listening uh, to a show they did a few weeks ago, and they had a dermatologist on there. 
I don't recall her name or anything, but uh, it just just really started to bug me because she was just telling all these tropes like natural products are better, synthetics are bad. But one thing that she said, which really bugged me, is she said uh, there was this one product which didn't use a preservative, but they used citric acid as a preservative. <laughs> it was like citric acid is not a preservative. No, not at all. And apparently this dermatologist either did the interview before the JAMA Dermatology Report came out saying that natural products are not necessarily better for your skin than non-natural products, which if she's a dermatologist, she should be reading the latest publications, um, or she doesn't believe in it. And I I would tell you she probably would read the article and say, "Eh, they're wrong. Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, that's one of the one of the downsides to social media and experts getting out there and pushing a message because she actually worked for a brand. And so oh, hashtag conflict of interest <laughs> a little bit. That's that's one of the problems. Now, some dermatologists will pass on good information. But when you're passing on this this bias stuff that plugs your own products, it just it's just I think it really harms consumers and it just mis- misinforms people. Now there's uh, people that listen to this podcast and they're going to think that, you know, parabens are terrible to use. Citric acid apparently is a preservative and they should only use natural products on their skin. And whereas we know that natural ingredients are the ones that usually cause the most problem on people's skin. So I just, it just really bugs me to hear uh, an expert like a dermatologist passing on this bad information. Well, I think it also speaks that this dermatologist may be an expert in uh, skin morphology, physiology, diagnosing diagnosing and treating skin maladies, but she's not a cosmetic formulator. We've spoken on the show before that there is a, a rift between the cosmetics industry and the medical industry where we're almost approaching um, skin or hair with, with a different set of eyes, and we're not necessarily super interrelated. So there's this gap between us. And when she's saying that parabens, which, um, hello, were the 2019 non-allergen preservative of the year, yeah. or synthetic ingredients, which a, a JAMA editorial from a fellow dermatologists of hers in the industry, I mean, they're not related, but I, I'm just saying they're all dermatologists are saying, yeah. hey, natural's not better. And in fact, we're seeing a rise in skin disorders from people using products. Um, it just speaks that in this instance, she should stick to talking about skin and speaking less about cosmetic formulations. Yeah. And the bottom line is, hey, dermatologists out there, um, stop passing on bad information. <laughs> yeah. Ask a cosmetic chemist. And in fact, we'll tell you at the end of the show how you guys can ask us a question. Although I should say that there are also cosmetic chemists out there that pass on bad information too. Uh, it, the, yeah. the things you got to look for is what is somebody selling? If somebody's selling a product that not necessarily they're going to tell you the wrong stuff, but you have to be very skeptical of what they're telling you. Yeah, exactly. Well, I read an article also. We'll do a third news story. I know it's not oh, usual for us. Where If you follow me on Twitter, you know I tweeted about it. I read an article about a brand, speaking of people trying to just sell themselves, <laughs> for a, it's a hair care brand, and they are selling CBD-infused hair products. 
Whoa, CBD, the hot, the hot ingredient. <laughs> yeah. They're putting it in everything, right? That supposedly works on receptors in the skin to mediate inflammation, et cetera, et cetera. They were saying, hey, it's really important if you're going to buy a CBD product that you're buying from a brand that is extremely transparent, revealing all their testing, doing their diligence, doing their job, transparency, transparency, transparency. And I just had to laugh because CBD literally does nothing for hair and <laughs> they're they're screaming transparencies needed from brand to consumers and they're selling a product that really is just a, a waste of money it's going down the drain it's just it's so hard to be a consumer these days because yeah, you know these these brands they they latch onto these trends and they they prepare the story in such a way that it sounds science-based and there is always a kernel of science to these things but uh, that's a perfect example i mean they put cbd in everything and it doesn't do anything in here no and it's not even a a a corn kernel it's (laughs) like a walnut shell kernel that's been put in a grinder to make very tiny walnut exfoliants it's like smaller than that kernel of science in that anyway i just thought it was funny (laughs) well we'll see how long the cbd craze lasts well, I also read another article that it's just the beginning. So, oh my. <laughs> yeah, well, you, I, you guys I will hear a lot about it moving forward, I guess. I, I think we're going to start a special CBD news <laughs> section. Yeah. All right. Speaking of news sections, uh, do you want to answer some questions? Let's do it. All right. Our first question comes to us from Geraldine. She says, uh, we need a beauty brains for vitamins. Can you guys talk about vitamins for hair or any vitamins that are recommended for beauty benefits? Years ago, companies claimed that their vitamins would break down or digestion and other vitamin brands would not. Thank you, and I so enjoy your podcast. So vitamins for hair. You're, you're a hair person, right? Yeah. How do you feel about vitamins for hair? No. <laughs> well, we've talked about it before on the show. Vitamins are are great to supplement with when you have a deficiency or when you're prescribed them for some purpose from your medical doctor. And for example, biotin. I see so many products with biotin for hair, nails, they're topical and Unfortunately, any topical application of those won't do anything for your hair. They're not going to magically penetrate into your body. And any oral vitamins taken really will only work if you have a deficiency. The other challenge is a lot of vitamins and supplements. Uh, For example, turmeric is super popular right now. And when you ingest it, only a very small portion of the turmeric is actually bioavailable for digestion. And so it would need to be paired with something like a black pepper that could increase the bioavailability of the turmeric in your system. Otherwise it's in one end and out the other. So I, I really wish even, you know, putting consumer Valerie hat on, I love the idea of beauty teas, beauty powders, beauty waters. I love the idea. And you know what? I even drink one. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I just yeah. don't think it's going to do anything. I'm just really happy that it makes me drink more water. I mean, when I yeah. chug a gla- glass of water with these um, you know, vitamins in it, I feel like the healthiest person on the planet. <laughs> and I think that's something, right? 
it makes you feel better. <laughs> How could it be bad? I just, I, <laughs> I, I don't. I'm super skeptical of those things. Now, I should say, when I was on the Tresemme brand, Tresemme, every time we'd come out with a new SKU, they always wanted a new vitamin. So Tresemme had vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E. I think we got up to vitamin K <laughs> every time we'd do it. And, you know, we would put the vitamins in there at just just a drop in there, just so you have it on the label and you can say that's a vitamin version. Um, and it didn't do anything in the product. But what I will say is when you were sitting in uh, focus groups and people are reading through the new concept that's coming out, you put the word vitamin in the concept and consumers automatically like it. They automatically rate it high. And so from a from a product sales standpoint, that was why we were putting vitamins in there. But vitamins didn't do anything. Now, the only vitamin in hair that people claim has an effect is the panthenol, the vitamin mm-hmm. but B, B12 or whatever. I think it's B5, provitamin B- B5, yes, right. which... Pantene has built their whole empire on. Right. And I don't I don't really buy that it does anything in your hair, personally. I don't think it's doing anything to the in- hair internally, but I think um, it offers like a certain hair feel when you're in the shower. When you take Panthenol, neat Panthenol that's not dissolved in anything, yeah. and you get your hands wet and you put your pan- the Panthenol between your fingers, it's like a squeaky feeling like and i think that feel in the shower when you're rinsing it out of the hair gives the consumer the perception their hair is a more hydrated and and better feeling but is it actually doing anything yeah probably not yeah i mean i i could see that but also they have their dimethicone in their products they have their there's you know there's squeaky clean detergents i could see just any effect you would get from there would just be wiped out so they did they did build pantene you know pro v that's the whole a reason to be or whatever uh, and it sells quite well but uh, i don't think it's selling well because of what uh, the the vitamins doing in there yeah exactly well next we have an audio question right yeah audio question uh, let me cue that up hello beauty brains my name is anna and i live in florida you recently answered another question of mine so i hope it's not too soon to submit another one I've been trying to get rid of age spots on my face and have been unsuccessful thus far, so I recently began using a 2% hydroquinone serum sold by Glow Skin Beauty. I have two questions. According to my dermatologist a few years ago, hydroquinone is the only thing that actually fades spots. If that's true, then why is it not more commonly used? I looked in several places before finding it at the derm store. Also, is niacinamide as effective? Thank you! All right. Thanks so much. So hydroquinone has been used for depigmentation since at least the 1960s. And some of you may know, some of you may not know, its use in cosmetic products for skin lightening is a bit controversial. A widely accepted mechanism for how hydroquinone works on the skin is that it inhibits synthesis of the enzyme tyrosinase, which is an enzyme responsible for melanin production. Melanin is the molecule that gives skin its color. So the more melanin you have, the darker skin is. Additionally, melanocytes, where the melanin lives, 
and organelles that contain melanin can be destroyed by hydroquinone. It's very effective. So when you stop it from being made or you're destroying the melanin that exists, um, you get a lighter effect in skin and hydroquinone is very good at that. However, the safety is what's controversial about this ingredient. It's not controversial how it works, but um, hydroquinone has been banned for use in cosmetic products in Europe since around 2000. I should give a little caveat to that, being banned in Europe. It's it's banned in over-the-counter products, but you can still get hydroquinone uh, prescriptions in, in Europe. So Correct. You cannot use it in, in true cosmetic products, right. which is maybe what you would get at the drugstore or on the internet. Right. In the United States, depigmentation products, because you're changing the physiology of the skin, you are making it lighter, they would be considered as over-the-counter drugs. In over-the-counter drugs, you may have seen a drug facts panel on several products you buy, like sunscreen. Yeah, anti-dandruff shampoos. Yeah, there's some products that actually have an effect on the the body, like the biochemistry of the body. They those are actually drugs. Exactly. The FDA creates a monograph for these types of products and dictates what ingredients you can use in them and at what levels. Historically, since 1982, the level that was concluded to be safe was between 1.5 and 2%, and I think most companies used hydroquinone over-the-counter at 2%. However, the FDA in 2006 withdrew the monograph listing hydroquinone as an ingredient as a proposal, so it's not a final rule yet, but they said, hey, we kind of want to pull this back and come back to you with a new monograph for skin lightening, and that hasn't happened yet. The interesting thing there is that if you take away hydroquinone, then there are no actives for skin lightening. Exactly. The monograph would just be gone. The reason they did this is the FDA determined that it couldn't rule out potential carcinogenic risk from topically applied hydroquinone in humans, and they couldn't make a final determination on hydroquinone's potential to impair fertility. So when products, uh, cosmetic ingredients, I should say, not products, when the actual ingredients are tested either for pharmacological or cosmetic use, they have to do several tests to determine its tox profile. And one of them is not only can it cause cancer, but can it cause reproductive harm? And that's called mutagenicity um, in the reproductive system. And I think in rats, they have found that it it does not have a good uh, mutagenicity profile. So however, the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board which we often refer to as the CIR, has been studying safety of hydroquinone since the early 1980s, and they've created several reports over the years, and they most recently created one saying that they think hydroquinone is safe when you use it at concentrations less than or equal to 1% in formulations that are designed for brief use, meaning you have to wash them off of the skin. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's unsafe for leave-on cosmetic products with the exception of UV nail adhesives. Well, it's interesting that the FDA is being a little more conservative than the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board. Yeah, it's pretty unusual. So you may ask, how could our listener who sent in this question be purchasing a cream still that contains hydroquinone at 2% if the FDA is like, hey, you know, we don't really think you can use that. Um, It's because they haven't come up with a final rule yet saying hydroquinone is certainly not allowed in cosmetic products. Right. So that, that's why she can still get that. So 
I would expect this cream to be effective if it contained 2% hydroquinone. I think, I think that's a great use level. Uh, but I think a little caution should be used since there is so much disagreement around the world. I know that 